Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Dan, next time you come to DC, I got to show you videos of the boys who are now singing your songs in our driveway as just part of their play every day. It's just so <laughs> wonderful. The orchid, just so great. A hundred innings is all you can expect for you. <laughs> All right, Nigel, this is your deal. We have a news segment. Introduce everybody and let's go. Yes, we're very happy to have Gina McManus and Chris Saliza in with us for this. Um, and uh, Mr. Lego. I didn't know it was going to be Chris. I thought it was going to be Gary. Oh. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, this segment's also a great start. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty then. It is National Pretzel Day. I didn't know that. It's another made-up holiday, of course, but there's nothing wrong with a made-up holiday. And we got pretzels today. Nigel brought over some pretzels uh, for me. I gave him some of the pretzels for Michael and the children. Michael will take home some of the pretzels with the I'm, I'm just mustards. amazed that the pretzels did not fall out of Nigel's car. No, they did not. <laughs> they did not. So uh, let me get read this letter. Thank you for letting us share National Pretzel Day with you and the gang. Yes, we know it's another made-up holiday, but when you own a pretzel place, you go with it. We included some samples of our famous Philly-style pretzels, which we hope bring back fond memories from Michael from his days at school. We included some mustard samples because ketchup is not for us either. While we are in Crofton, Crofton, Maryland, taking care of the D.C. area, and our sister store is in Bel Air, taking care of the Baltimore area, we hope that we can annually drop these off for you and the crew to enjoy as a thank you for getting us through our days. You can do it more than annually if you want. That's from Sean G. in the Philly Pretzel Factory in Crofton, Maryland. And you, I've had some of these already. So I, we good. started with the pretzel bites. Very good. And Very good. I've actually looked into making my own pretzels, particularly in the last year when I've been experimenting with dough. But I'm terrified of the process because some of the recipes involve lye as you try and produce this alkaline oh, yeah. bath. And that's yeah. not something I'm doing in my chemistry shop at home. Yeah. Actually, these the bites, nostalgic, yes. I, I'm thinking back to the Wawa getting the double pack at 37th and Spruce. But actually, it's angering me because it makes me want to go to a baseball game so badly. Oh. And what has angered me is that uh, you know we, we still have a new baseball stadium and that it's not something that's been integrated into a neighborhood for you know half a century. And I have never been able to get a good pretzel at Nats Park, and that has angered the entire family. You should get Sean to I'll just, just take drop these. them off. Well, yeah. you take these and go to a game. Well, Crofton is about 40 minutes away from the stadium the way I'm coming in. Yeah. That's okay. They'll deliver to your house if you have a big enough order. You can do that. You can make that happen. So thank you for that. Um, speaking of baseball, the Nats, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go crazy. I'm just going to tell you that it appears that Patrick Corbin is, is close to done at this one point. One in, one out. One in, one out. But the Washington Nationals in this series against the New York Mets, who they see as a rival and justifiably, in the first game and the last game, they scored no runs. And this isn't as bad as what the Braves did yesterday, where the Braves got no runs at all and only one hit. Unofficial no-hitter. You know, and yeah, and an unofficial no-hitter by Madison Bumgarner. One hit in 14 innings against Arizona. One hit. It's not as bad as that, but it's almost as bad as that. You had no runs. No runs in the first game against DeGrom, who's a total stud. He's Max Scherzer. He's you know he's Max Scherzer. So it's okay. You have to qualify but, this series a little bit. Had you gone into this weekend thinking you're going to get one out of three because you're going up against Degrom 
and Strowman, who had really put up zero, uh, you know, a no, but few they beat runs. Strowman. They they did beat him, and that's why you thought yesterday's game was such a potential gift. Where yeah, Corbin has been going. One start's been terrible. The next has been pretty good. And if you thought you His could ERA is over ten, and you look at the first couple innings, and you just go, if you don't get that fastball in. Again, you're just building the count, and that's why that J.D. Davis, I think, was on a 3-1 fastball that's just out of the play. It's just no doubter, and that, to me, is you, you, they didn't take advantage of opportunities on the, on the bases. Getting they got thr- picked off. Harrison got picked off. They were going to score at least one run in the first inning, as it turns out in hindsight, at least one run. At after, least. There was, after there was a wild pitch, it would have been second and third, nobody out, and then Turner's ball would have gotten in at least one run. It, it, and he gets picked off at first. Picked off. And then they have a running mistake. Then Robles. Trying to stretch it to a triple. Yeah, you cannot be the first out in an inning at third base. This is one of the sacred tenets of baseball. I didn't want to get and, angry. And, but I'm again, angry. this is why you have to peel it back, because this is going against a pitcher and who's, in his previous starts has not really gotten out of the fourth inning. So if you start to think, if we can put up some runs early, it doesn't matter if then Corbin gives up the one or two or the three runs, because it still then becomes a bullpen game. There were positives. You look... Andrew Stevenson, when he comes in, he makes things happen. So put him in a lineup more I, often. I, you're getting to that point. Uh, well, what's and, Davey waiting for? Like a message from, in a bottle? I think he's just waiting for Josh, <laughs> for Josh, or for for everyone to come together and say, "Let's just make this decision as a team." Josh Bell is not. We've doing, been focusing on Josh Bell, doing absolutely Sorry. nothing. All right, one other thing. So I watched At a least little. He has bit. the book club. I, uh, you know what? I can be in any book club I want, but I can't get a major league hit. Who check and out neither Bunny's can book you. club? Why don't you just try to get major league hits, not worry about the books? Watch the golf. Watch the little bit of the golf. I don't care about these team events. They don't mean much to me except if it's Ryder Cup. You know, but it's okay. I watched a little bit. Charles Schwartzel and Louis Oosthuizen, both of whom have won majors. Oosthuizen has won the British Open. Schwartzel's won the Masters against Mark Leishman and Cam Smith, neither of whom have won any majors. Good players, all good players. Leishman's won a major. He has. He won, he won a the British. Leishman won the British? Yeah, the, the year Rory missed the cut. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know Port this Rush. One. Pretty sure he oh, won Oh, okay. It. I didn't know that. So, okay. Good players. All good players. Great short games. In the... Cam Smith really has a great short game. In the first extra hole. First extra hole. They're going to play alternate shot. It's Ustizen's turn to hit it. Because to hit it off the tee. He hits it in the water. He hits it in the water. It's Wide over. Wide right. Wide it's, right. It's over. He hits it in the water. It's a terrible way to lose. And Charles Schwartzel, who we like in this house, um, Louis never won a tournament in the United States. Amazing as that is to believe. And Schwartzel's had rough times lately and could be in some danger of losing his card, I think. It's, it's a remi- so you're thinking about those major victories. That's his Masters was what, 2011? So, I mean, it's, so you're, you, it's 10 years. You see how, how this is actually is a career and how there is a path to try and stay and maintain your play at a certain level. Can't do that. Just can't do that. No, we, the big question is, what do you think of Cam Smith's hair? Where he shaves the side of his head and then grows his hair long. He looks like, uh, you know, it looks like a rock and roll so is it, is a this, hair band. Is there a trend where, where mullets have come back in I, style and I never knew this? Because Andrew Stevenson has, has the same thing. Oh. And oddly enough, on Cam Smith, it looks good. Yeah, it does. Well, Because he wears a hat. So it looks okay. When he takes the hat off, it's sort of weird looking. But he's, he's, is he a kid? He's not a kid. I think he's pretty young. He's early 20s. Oh, okay. So he is a kid. Okay. All right. So I want to, um, I have two ways to go here. I can do Steinman one more time, if you'd like. Or I can talk about being completely disoriented yesterday. Disoriented to the point where I almost had a panic attack. 
Would you like to hear that? I would like to hear option two, and I'm hoping it involves you at a grocery store. <laughs> Does not. <laughs> oh, no. Dry cleaner? At about three o'clock in my house. About three o'clock, I lay down on the couch to take a nap. On the couch. Now, I, don't, I do that during the week, not on weekends. On weekends, if I want to take a nap, I lay down on my bed. That's but a during, weekend nap. During the week, I lay down briefly on the couch. I had just finished a phone call with Julia about the happies. In other words, you write the happies the day before, the happy birthday and the happy anniversary. You write them the day before so you're not taxed that day. You always know what they're going to be. You make the decision what they're going to be. You know whose birthday it is. You know what the anniversaries are. And I'd been on a phone call with Julia to get some facts right because she's a fact checker. That's one of the things she does. She helps tremendously. And I had been on with Kelleher, not on the phone, but I'd been texting back and forth with Matt about the decisions as to what we were going to do for birthday and anniversary. The anniversary is going to be Hal McRae and his meltdown in his office. (laughs) And the birthday is... Let me look it up. Well, now we don't have to watch PTI this afternoon. Aaron Judge, 29 years old today. Aaron Judge. I wake up at five minutes to five. It's five minutes to five. I look at my watch. I begin to panic. I'm late for the show. I'm late for the show because I'm on the couch. I'm late for the show. I go, oh my God, oh my God. And I go, and I go to myself, is Tracy here? Is she upstairs? We've got to be taping now. I'm not even dressed. I have to get dressed. I have to get up there. I guess we're going to have to go live. How could this have happened? This is what we'll is racing, live. This is what is racing through my head that I've let everybody down. I immediately looked at my phone to see if Matt had called and Matt hadn't called. And I saw Carol upstairs and I said, what is going on? And she said, it's Sunday. And I had no idea. I was totally disoriented. So the good news is you entered a deep state of sleep. I so guess. you get some REM cycle in there. I guess. But I thought that I had done something terrible. I thought they were all waiting for me. But then, you know, rationally, I said, well, if they're all waiting for me, why didn't they just wake me up? I'm laying on the couch. But still, I utterly panicked. I, and th- this usually happens in dreams. In dreams, you panic that you can't pass the test. You know, that's right. the, the very typical dream. But I, I was c- utterly disoriented. I have laid this off to the fact that I was involved in work yes, with Julia and Matt, and I was laying on the couch, you know, because that's where I sometimes nap during the week. Yeah, there's probably something nap. deeper, too, where your work life has now been, you know, combined with your personal life, where you're going back and forth into these spaces where there used to be a clear, you know, definition yeah. of home versus office. I'm just walking up the stairs. So are you worried for me, or do you think, no, it's I'm a little worried that you're taking naps between four and five in the afternoon, because that, to me, is a sign of age. Well, that, I'm that's old. That's not just like a, like a I'm quick, old. you know, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, fall asleep at one o'clock as the golf's beginning to turn on, or you had a big morning. And- oh, no, I watched, I watched, I had watched the Nats, okay, the Nats so, lost, the Nats, yeah, I the hit Nats some balls and I came home. I went to Columbia and hit some balls and came home. But that's more like, a, you know, you're, you're, I guess you are a grandparent at this point. That's the. If you know, I had taken the nap on my own bed, I don't think this would have happened. But maybe, I don't know. Anyway, do I need to go in a home? I think you're already there. Okay. 
Nigel, what do you think? Sean, what do you think? I was utterly disoriented. I thought I had, I I think, had blown the deadline. I, well, first of all, I haven't had really had that kind of panic, but when you wake up and you think you're supposed to be somewhere, there's no more sort of rush panicky feeling that you can get because you're like, oh my God, I'm half awake. Where am I supposed to be? I got to be upstairs. Where's Tracy? Who's going to do the makeup? Right. I tend to yeah. think that because you slept on Ten the couch, to f- It's five o'clock. Yeah. It's five o'clock. I think if what you, am I, I doing? I, I agree with you. If you'd been on your bed, I think you would have woken up and been like, oh, yeah, I know what they you I think know, you're, I, I think you're going to go out this afternoon and try and get another job because you think I'm done. <laughs> I, I had one of those this morning. Did you? Well, it was just a, you know, I woke up and I thought it was Sunday and we're at that time of the year where, you know, it's light enough at 6 a.m. that it yeah, could be yeah, 730. Yeah. And I'm yes. like, oh, it's Sunday. And then I was like, no, it's Monday. And before I looked at the clock, I had the Tony's waiting to hear the tone and the music. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just, you know, I went, I, I did the checklist. Has Kelleher called? Is Tracy upstairs? Who's going to do the makeup? It's five o'clock. I've got, what am I doing? It was really weird. I, I was really disorienting. Michael's looking at me like no. It all, it now mm. makes sense that you had such a bad night of sleep after having oh, this terrible this nap I, I experience. Woke up at one in the morning and didn't go back to sleep. Well, your whole clock's off. It just something's really wrong. All right, uh, we will take a break, and when we come back, Michael Wilbon will join us. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. We are welcoming a new sponsor right now, and this is a sponsor. And there is a letter that accompanies this that I got about a week ago. This is, I'm not going to deal, deal with the letter today because we're going to be with these people for a couple of weeks through Mother's Day. This is called Spoonful of Comfort. Um, these are people who make soup and rolls and cookies, but mainly soup. You like soup. I really like soup. Nigel, you like soup, don't you? I love soup. Snow peas, like soup, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I like that. Take, you know, take the dog for a walk, have some soup. Um, and apparently... Somebody sent me this a year ago, and I raved about it on the air. And then these people went into sort of, let's really do this. Let's make this something that people can access all around the country. And it's called Spoonful of Comfort. We got a box the other day. It had spring vegetable soup and chicken noodle soup. It had a couple of packages of rolls. The rolls were great. They didn't, they didn't last two days in the house. Um, and then we got a box of cookies, and we got a ladle. And it was sort of be- you had you another think- box of cookies that never made it out of our house. We gave it to you. Oh, yes. It was sort of beautiful, though. The, <laughs> the packaging, packaging, beautiful. The packaging is beautiful. Nice ladle. Yeah, yeah really nice. It's like an so heirloom piece. I'm recommending this. I mean, I've had this. I'm recommend the soups were great. I'm gonna do the. So have, have you had soup every day since? Parts of their soups every day. Yes, I save them. I husband them. I don't allow there to be too much soup, so there's always a little left over. Mother's Day's right around the corner. Treat your mom, wife, or anyone special with a gourmet soup basket from Spoonful of Comfort. It's like sending a warm hug, and it says, talk about your personal experience. Well, I've just talked about my personal experience. You can see their entire selection of Mother's Day gift baskets at SpoonfulofComfort.com. Just for my listeners, Spoonful of Comfort is offering you 10% off. Just use the code PODCAST10 when ordering. Now, to be fair, that's a generic code. If it was just for my listeners, it'd be Tony K10. I mean, who's getting who on this? But the product is really good. This is easy. Get that great gift from mom and show her how much she means to you. That's spoonfulofcomfort.com or search spoonful. It's 
you get soup and rolls and cookies. It's easy. It, and it's really good. We gave Tracy some of the soup, some of the spring vegetable soup, and she loved it. I, I think you can tell when I've had something that I really like and then when I'm doing it generically. And this is something that I really like. It's unique. It's different. It's easy. They gift wrap. They include a custom note card with your message to mom. It's delivered right to her door, guaranteed. You can pre-order now. Get it off your plate. Spoonfulofcomfort.com. And as I said, as Michael's affirming, the packaging's beautiful. The packaging is beautiful. And it's such an interesting idea. And it's tied into Mother's Day. Mother's Day, by the way, not just for moms. You know, you can steal a little bit for yourself here and there. Spoonfulofcomfort.com. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes from Aaron in Salt Lake, who writes, Dear Dr. Doolittle, now you're speaking to the animals. My son Tanner is 17 and just released this song, Best Friend, on all the usual music channels under the name Novito. Don't ask me. I'm too old to understand. He wrote and produced it and plays many of the instruments, including keyboard, percussion, and vocal. I bet Jesse can't do that. Tanner is graduating from high school next month and is headed to the Berklee School of Music this fall to study music production. The Berklee School of Music, that's the one in Boston, right? That's the best in the country, everybody says. So good for him, good for Tanner. And this again is uh, Tanner's in Salt Lake, and this is called Best Friend under the name Novito. And this is from Michael Wilbon, who joins us now. And I know, I know you don't care about the draft, and the draft is coming up, and you don't care about it so much that you're not even going to be on the show on Thursday and Friday. But I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I know that you actually would be interested in. And the first one is the Bears. You've rooted for the Bears your whole life. They have screwed up a bunch of drafts. They don't have a great record on drafts at all. What do you want them to do besides firing Ryan Pace? What do you want them to get in this draft? I mean, there's so many needs, Tony. I mean, just be competent. I mean, I've, I, I keep hearing, reading, and told and with few conversations I have about the Bears in the draft. They need a corner. They could use a safety. I know they need at least two offensive linemen. So, of course, you know, the projections revolve around a defensive tackle. <laughs> I, you know. So, I, I, you know, and Tony, it's not that I don't like the draft. I don't, I don't care about any draft, really. Um, and I just, you know, it's, it's the fanaticism. It's rooting for it. There's only six days to the draft. I keep hearing our own colleagues yeah. and anchors. Yeah. So what? I mean, you know, Tony, my take is this, my take. If you can't identify Tom Brady in the, as somebody who should be picked in the first five rounds, then what good are you? Uh, those, I- those things happen. There's always – look at, look at the, the Washington, I was going to say what they are, the Washington football team when we first started working. And Joe Jacoby yeah. was undrafted. Uh, he's, yeah. he's one of the greats. He was an undrafted player out of Louisville. And everybody had a so shot. Get me and, to the, so get me to camps and get me to tryouts. Don't tell me how great the draft is. Okay. You, you, you're talking about Hall of Famers. You're talking about, you're talking about in the case of Tom Brady, it, the guy that most people believe is the greatest of all time, and you couldn't identify him? No, okay, they make mistakes. But why, why do I need to care to this degree about people, Tony, 
we don't know who, Tony, you and I could not identify any of the non-quarterbacks who are going to the top five. Anybody other nope. than that. We couldn't no. identify them if they walked in your studio. Okay, so I'm, so enough. Yes, and I'm taking off two days, and I should have taken off the whole week. Yeah, you should take off when you want. So I'll ask you one more question about the draft because this interests me. The greatest coach of all time may be Bill Belichick. He's certainly the greatest coach of the time, you know, of the modern 2000, you know, from 2000 yeah, on. He's the best. Question. There's no question without about question. that. He took a chance on Cam Newton last year that both you and I thought was a really smart play. And Cam Newton showed us he cannot throw the ball down the field anymore. Can't do it. Yeah. He can run. He can lead. His teammates really like him. And he took responsibility when he was bad. It's everything you could want in a leader. Everything except ability. Do you think that Bill Belichick stays with him or Bill Belichick somehow maneuvers to get a quarterback? Because that's interesting well, I, to I, me. I suspect he'll get a quarterback Thursday or Friday. I mean, or, you know, I, I suspect he'll get a quarterback. And then you start with Cam Newton. You see if he's gotten any physically better. Yeah. You see if he can do the things he couldn't do last year. If not, you, you move on. I mean, I don't think that's like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a dramatic thing that nobody expects. I think we all expect that. Um, and he, there's, there's enough – this quarter, we know from the selection of Tom Brady that there are guys yeah, in the right. sixth round, that there are guys out there that coaches will want and will take. And if not drafting them, they'll sign it. Now, it's hard to find a quarterback you take and start in the NFL these days as an undrafted free agent, but there might be. And Bill Belichick will find a quarterback. I, I you know, I, I to me, that's just a reasonable expectation of, Bill I agree with that. And his the staff, right? I agree because he's not going to be under five hundred. He's he's uh, we're not going to see this again. Well, Let I mean, me he give might you a... be again, but I mean, you, you know, you, well. have, you have injuries, you have people performing below expectation, or you have all that. But I suspect that Bill Belichick will take a quarterback at least one on Thursday or Friday. Let me tell you <clears throat> what happened to me yesterday when I was I just tuned into ESPN randomly just to see what was on as I was going around the dial. And I took one turn on the crawl, and I saw something that I felt was stunning. I don't know how you feel about this. Kim Mulkey, who has won three yeah. national championships at Baylor, not yeah. one, not two, three, is leaving to go to LSU. She didn't go to LSU. She's from Louisiana, but she didn't attend LSU. And I thought, I don't know that any coach in any sport has Done this? Do you? Well, wasn't she? Didn't she announce at first she was retiring or something? Didn't she announce that? I don't know. Um, I, I I just I, checked into this. She's going to be I at mean, LSU. Yeah, I, Tony. I think there are other things at work. I, I don't think this has to do with basketball. I think there are other things that work with Kim Mulkey. I've paid attention. I don't know that you want to get into politics. This sort of no. I understand. Today. I understand. She's she's know, on the right. I don't, I don't I know all that much about her. Um, right. I think that you know, look, we 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 have we have revolts of of players now. Um, Not hers. When your Not players hers. when your players aren't, you know, necessarily the same political persuasion as you, much less not the same, but but object vehemently if they do, then you know there's some movement. So I, nothing shocks me when it comes to that. We've seen people replaced. We've seen people run off. 
I mean, I understand, I but we we didn't see Dean Smith leave North Carolina for UCLA. You know what I'm saying? She's Dean got three. Smith, but Dean Smith isn't Kim Mulkey. Dean Smith's politics weren't Kim Mulkey's politics. Right. I'm telling you, I don't believe this has anything to do with basketball. Okay. At all. Okay. But it's a big it's, deal. I, I, I mean, I think that's a story it's for a us big today. Deal, don't you think? We've seen um, no because they don't no? because our staff doesn't want to talk about politics. I'm not going to attempt to do that story and avoid what I think the reality. Is. I, I think that's and I that think that's sort of fair speculation. Issues. I'm just saying that that what, it, what you, is, you pick any sport, sport you don't see this. Well, you do. You, you saw it at Iowa. You saw that. You see people run out who are. Strength and conditioning coaches and uh, people who, yes, you do. Yes. Three-time national champion. Three-time national yeah. champion. Wow. But was it, again, just, was, I, I got to bone up. Wasn't she going out? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I, she, I just saw I mean, it. I didn't pay that much attention yeah, prior. I, you know. I, I paid attention to her in January, February, March. Although I, I thought what her team she, got hosed in that game. I thought that girl was fouled. Yeah. yeah. Right? Wasn't so. she, didn't she recommend that the NCAA stop testing yes. for the virus? Yes, she recommend yes, that? yes, for the Final yeah. Four. I, yes, I, she did. I, look, I think yes. I'm going to see her a lot in a few weeks um, at the Hall of Fame in Springfield. Yeah. And isn't she being inducted? Isn't Michael Jordan standing for her and presenting her? Oh. And they go back to Olympic Games. I mean, they she go can coach. back a long way. She can coach. You know, uh, <laughs> she but can again, coach. Nobody's, quest- nobody's questioning that. All right. Now let's move on. I don't think anybody's questioning her coaching credentials. I think people are questioning her ability in the climate that I don't know what her team is like and what they believe about her and whether they believe they can coexist with her. And guess what happens to star recruits? Many of them. Look, look, Tony, the NBA is rightfully credited with being at the forefront of social justice issues. You know who's standing in front of the NBA players? WNBA. Women's women's basketball. That's right. Players. That's right. WNBA. Okay. That's right. So did you did you, okay? If you so you talk about a, a coach being forced out. How about an owner having to sell in Atlanta to, and told no, to get out? I understand that, but I you know I'm just saying that's, that my my feeling is. is a three-time national champion whose players have never revolted against her, never to my knowledge, is leaving to go to another school, and I just think that's a yeah. wow. I think it's yeah. a wow. Padres, yeah. Dodgers, you got into it, didn't you? Ooh, yes, I did. I watched three of the four games. I didn't watch the one with um, um, – I didn't watch the second game. I think I watched the first – The Kershaw? The you didn't watch the Kershaw game? The Kershaw game, yeah, okay. and, and, the, and the recent ex-Cub. Um, Darvish. Darvish. I, did, I didn't watch that game because I was doing something else on Friday. But I watched Thursday. I watched – Saturday and last night. Last night was a marvel. Last night was playoff baseball. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. It didn't look They're like right. it. It sound like it. It was. It was playoff baseball. I watched. I so I watched the first three or four innings. I did miss the bulk of the comeback live. I caught up with it, and then I watched the. Um, I don't know, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. It was riveting. I wouldn't. I, I couldn't even. I, uh, you know, Tony, I started watching something last night that I wasn't going to watch, which was the Academy Awards. I hated it. And, I turned uh, it off. Well, I, I loved it. it in part because yeah. it only took a pandemic to acknowledge black and brown people in this country. 
I just hated who, it who as a television show. Yeah, I just hated it as a television I, show. But I, okay. I actually came to like it. I, I, it's not what I have uh, liked all my life, but I came to like it um, because it wasn't a shutout on people who looked like me. Right. So I came to like it. I came to, I loved Tyler Perry's speech, which I thought was just fabulous. And I'm not, I don't know anything about Tyler Perry. I know he's transformed the industry. He's transformed Atlanta. I was in Atlanta recently for a family funeral and you look up and you know how you look up on any freeway, it tells you what exit you're at. It tells you you're at Connecticut Avenue, it tells you you're at Wisconsin Avenue, it tells you you're at whatever. It says you're at Tyler Perry Studios. That's what the exit says. And I was like, wow. So last night when he was honored in this way, I, I, you know, I, I turned off of baseball for, I don't know, a couple of hours. But I turned back, and there were three hours of baseball remaining. The yeah, game just... took five-plus hours. And it was just riveting. Uh, and Fernando Tatis Jr., he's, he's the most irresistible player in he's a star. not just baseball, but maybe all of sport <laughs> right now. The guy is just a stud. You, to me, you can't take your eyes off him. I oh, agree. The way he runs, I agree. he's the most graceful, most exciting baseball player I think I have seen in my life. I would say they, they that, there, that to, there's a really good contrast on that team. There are two very, very flamboyant players, Tatis and Machado. Machado is right. easy to hate. Tatis is, you fall in love with him. You fall in love yeah. with him. It's really yeah, different. I, I, so Dodgers, I mean, I watch more sports since Thursday than I've watched since the pandemic started. Um, because Thursday I, I watched like four NBA games, two baseball games, because um, I watched, like I said, Dodgers. Padres and I watched the, the Cubs and then on the weekend straight through the weekend four days Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday of non-stop sports and I, that's the first time I've gone that deep um and I was glad to do it with multiple sports with Dodgers Padres um look I, I don't know that I'm gonna watch every time they play a series like that but they played seven games and I've watched most of five of them, and like I said, three out of the four this weekend. And the and you know the Padres did take, they, they did. did win that that seven games. They they're four. They did they four to three this year. Four to three. Yeah, hundred twenty eight yeah, games left, excited. and I guess they're three out. I think something you don't think like we're that. We're leading so. with that today. I, I I mean, if it's up to me, I would lead with that. I would, but I don't yeah. know. I mean, I have yeah. you know, it's too early to know what we're going to do. I'll get I you out of here on you. this. Go ahead. And I was going to say, I know you, there was no reason for you to watch this particular game, even though it was on in the afternoon. Well, no, I so Kevin which Durant one? walked right back. Oh, no, I didn't watch. I was watching the Nats. Points. Yeah. But he had 33, 8, and 8 in 28 minutes. So here's, so well. And, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't waste time. He doesn't have the ball yo-yo one of these nuts. Nice he, just, he just went out there and he was Kevin Durant. You're like, my God. So the, the only question in the NBA worth exploring, and there's nothing that we know about it, is will Harden and Durant and will Davis and LeBron be healthy enough to go straight through in the playoffs? Because if they yeah. are, they'll meet in the finals. It's pretty simple. They're better than the others, right? Well, you agree with that? You don't? Not necessarily. No. No, I don't know that people can. I know you're saying if they are healthy. and that's, Yeah. Look, to some degree, but I'm not, I don't. I'm not locked in on that. I mean, first of all, none of the people that you mentioned can stay healthy for two weeks. They can't. So why they would can't. I believe 
Why should I believe they're going to do it now? When they, no, when I, I don't the, believe it. I'm saying if, ratchet it up. Oh, if they oh, could, okay. but I don't, I'm not sure that wow. they can. I'm not sure that they yeah. can, but it would please yeah, me either. enormously to see Philadelphia, to see Joel Embiid go out early. I'm tired of him. I know you love him. I don't. I don't love him. I don't know how you could be more tired of Joel Embiid than Kyrie Irving. Well, I can't stand How, how could that possibly be? I, haven't, I can't stand Kyrie Irving. I mean, you can't. I mean, so what no. are you talking about? At least Joel Embiid, is a, he doesn't believe, he's, he's, he's having some fun. Not in the Dwight Howard way where you want to throw him out, oh. where I want to throw him out of the league. Dwight Howard. But no, I mean, yeah. I mean Joel Embiid, whatever you think of him, not only that, Joel Embiid's playing. He's playing he plays his hard. butt off. He plays hard. He's just too self-congratulatory. Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, I'm going to have to be forced to consider putting on all an all NBA team. And I didn't he's think that. He's a great that, player. You know, he is. He's a great player. He's been a great player for a long yeah. time. All right. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day until you do PTI, and I'll see you then. Goodbye. All right. Sounds good, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Um, we will take a break, and when we return – we have Mark Feinsand of Major League Baseball. Am I correct on that? I think you are. I'm correct on that. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So we're going to do the solo stove ad here. And I'm going to tell you something that happened to me this morning. When I was out with the dog, so it's about 6.15, and I'm taking this route with the dog, and I go into a street where the today is garbage day in Washington in my neighborhood. And I go to a street where all the garbage cans are out. And I notice, I notice a box lying down on the ground and it's a solo stove box. Somebody in the neighborhood obviously bought a solo stove and was getting rid of the box. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I hope they use the code. Yeah, I hope. Well, I doubt they use the code because they probably don't know who I am, you know, and listen or anything like that. But I thought it was pretty cool that we advertised for solo stove. And then I thought to myself, why don't I have a solo stove? Why is the one that I have 700 miles away in South Carolina? you gifted your solo stove. It's it's the story. I know. It brings people together. Life's best moments happen around a roaring fire and a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove makes your fireside moments even more memorable because instead of having to constantly dodge campfire fumes, you can sit back, relax, and enjoy the fire. And here's one more reason to love spring. Solo Stove is offering a free fire pit stand with the purchase of any smokeless fire pit during their spring sale. You can make the most of the season and get the most out of your new smokeless fire pit. It is a win-win. That's pretty good. I may have to buy one of those. Well, it's a things. great reminder. Even now, you wouldn't think that this is fire pit season, but imagine this. You put the boys to bed, put a, rate, a baseball game on the radio. Right, and go out and look at out the under full the stars. moon. Tonight is a full moon. Solo Stove creates story-worthy moments without the fireside fumes. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. So little smoke, you'll wonder how there's so much fire. It's easy to keep lit. It's even easier to clean. Um, it's easy to light with a few bits of starter and your fire is blazing in a minute. They're so confident that you will love it, that they offer a lifetime warranty and a free return policy. And in the spring sale, you get a free stand, making your solo stove even more versatile. Make this spring one to remember with a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove and get a free stand with any purchase of a fire pit. Just use the promo code Tony K at checkout. That is solostove.com, the promo code Tony K. 
Don't be stupid. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band with a fabulous name called Norwegian Soft Kitten. It's a great name. And the letter is, we can't be more appreciative of the airplay you've given our first two singles we've released off our album, Sunshine on Lava. We've used this notoriety to help us get airplay on radio stations in the United States, Canada, now even England. And we've seen the number of kitties, and that's the name for their fans, grow. We released our third and final single, Release, last week. We hope you and the Littles enjoy it. The song has a bit of late 80s British sound to it. So, Nigel, this may be a song you really like. It's called Release. And this is sent to us by Glenn Burgitz and Alan Green, who are Norwegian Soft Kitten. Michael, if Norwegian Soft Kitten or anybody else who does original music wants to send us such music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Mark Feinsand of MLB.com joins us now. We are baseball loaded. If you listen to Wilbon, you know how much he enjoyed the San Diego LA Dodgers series, and I will certainly talk about that. But I think above all else is the Madison Bumgarner circumstance. Madison Bumgarner threw a seven-inning no-hitter yesterday, and the reason he didn't throw a nine-inning no-hitter is because it was a seven-inning doubleheader as per the new baseball rules. My question is, if baseball makes a rule that doubleheaders will be seven innings in certain circumstances and you can't go nine, is that a no-hitter? Because that's the official game. Is that a no-hitter? Well, the Elias Sports Bureau says no, and they're the ones who make these decisions uh, for Major League Baseball. You know, if a guy throws a no-hitter over five innings and the game gets suspended or, or canceled for rain and the game is an official game at five innings, uh, is that a no-hitter? That's also been ruled as a no. So, uh, you know, I, it's unfortunate for Baumgartner that he won't go in the history books uh, as having a no-hitter. Uh, would have been the first of his career, um, but you know, uh, who cares, right? I mean, these are these are these are little things that uh, you know. Madison Bumgarner is not going to need this no hitter to cement his reputation. I'm pretty sure what he did in the World Series is going to be what we remember him for, whether he throws four no hitters from here to the end of his career. I agree with everything, but the you know, but the ultimate decision. And, and the reason I'm saying this is, I think there's a difference between a game that is ruled official because the lights break or the rain comes down or something like that. That's supposed to be a nine-inning game. Mark, in this case, it's designated as a seven-inning game. Baseball made this rule. So to me, this actually, I'm not saying it shouldn't have an asterisk in the record books, but to me, this should be considered a no-hitter. To me. Yeah, I look, I would have no problem if MLB recognized this as a no-hitter for the exact reason that you just said. Um, you know, the fact that this this was the the entire game. There was nothing else that he could do. It wasn't like they gave him a chance to throw an eighth inning or a ninth inning. Right. Although I did, I did enjoy that after the game, he had 98 pitches uh, in those seven innings, and somebody asked him, do you think you would have been able to finish it off if it had been a nine-inning game? And he said, well, if it works for seven, it's hard to imagine it wouldn't work for two more. So, uh, you know, I think for, for him, this is a really good good step because he's he's really struggled since he went to Arizona and for him now maybe he's found something that can help him turn things around and, and try to live up to the contract he signed all righty let's go to the big story in baseball which is the Dodgers and the Padres they played seven the Padres won four of the seven each team won a series in the other one's home ballpark and we got to see great talent on display 
what does what if anything does this recent seven game situation between two people two teams that would be rivals now what does it mean I think it means what we all expected coming into the season, which is that this is the new best rivalry in the game, and these two teams are going to be going at it all year uh, against each other and against everybody else in a fight for who's going to have the best record and who's going to have to play a wild card game uh, because the fact that they both can't automatically advance in the division series really puts some big-time stakes uh, in this in this battle. I mean, the Padres have watched the Dodgers win this division for many years in a row, and yeah. they came out this winter and they signed a couple, you know, they signed Tatis to the extension, they brought in Snell, they brought in Darvish, and they really did what they had to do to say, look, we're not just going to play second fiddle here, um, but the Dodgers are still the best team until somebody unseats them. Uh, but certainly, you know, for the Padres to come back from 7-1 uh, last night w- was pretty impressive. I mean, I know once it got to 7-1, I sort of, I had been flipping between that and the Oscars, and I said, oh, let's go watch the Oscars, this game's over. And I turned it back, and I was like, oh, maybe not. So, uh, you know, the Padres are really a, a gritty team that are, are showing that they're, you know, they may be as good as we all thought they could be. Tatis is electric. He's just totally electric. He not only had five home runs in the series, he had four of them off two Cy Young winners, Clayton Kershaw and Trevor Bauer. What do you make of him at the moment, considering people like me watched him pull his shoulder out of the socket and thought he'd be out for months? Yeah, I, I, I was one of those people like you who thought he would be out for months. When I heard they were bringing him back uh, after the 10-day stint on the IL, I said, well, that's crazy. He's going to take one more swing, he's going to tear it completely, and then that's going to be it for the year. And instead, he just keeps hitting home runs. Um, My favorite stat of the weekend was what you just said. The the back-to-back two home run games off of Cy Young winners, uh, only six players have ever done that in the same season. He did it on back-to-back nights. Uh, This kid is uh, the face of this game going forward. And the fact that he's doing this with a little bit of a bum shoulder against the best team in baseball – on the biggest stage and everything else, there's no words to, uh, you know, to describe sort of his importance to the Padres and and to the game. You know, I, he signed this huge contract and then goes out and gets hurt, and everybody said, "Oh God, how smart is he to sign this contract?" Because that shoulder may never be the same again. And instead, he comes back and he's just tearing the cover off the ball. So I made this comment to Wilbon earlier in the show that he plays next to Manny Machado. Manny Machado is a great player. Manny Machado does all the same things that Tatis does. Manny Machado is instantly unlikable, and Tatis is instantly lovable. Do you agree with that? Uh, I think most of the, most people would agree with that. I, I happen to be a Machado fan. I've always enjoyed watching okay. him play. I watched him come up you know, in Baltimore when I was covering the Yankees, and so I got to see him play before... Uh, you know, before people really started to dislike him, you know, he always caused a bit of a spat in Boston. There was always, you know, a lot of joying. And uh, Machado comes off as arrogant, uh, whereas Tatis just has that big smile and comes off as just exuberant. And I think that's the difference um, between them. They're both great players. They both make a ton of money, and they're both, you know, two of the biggest reasons why the Padres are as good as they are and really have a chance to finally unseat the Dodgers. Um, you know, Tatis is also breaking this in right at, what, age 21 uh, and and taking the world by storm. And I just think, you know, he's the kid who's in the cover of the video games. He's the one the kids are now looking at, uh, you know, and, and they're trying to 
bring kids back into the game by marketing guys like him and Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna, and I think it's it's the right strategy because those three guys just couldn't be more fun to watch. It seems like these teams actually don't like each other. They actually don't, which is sometimes hyped, but it seems like they don't. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it is. You don't see a whole lot of the uh, pregame schmoozing or, uh, you know, sort of chatter between the players that you see in a lot of these other uh, quote-unquote rivalries. And I think back to those, um, you know, those Yankees-Red Sox about, you know, 15 to 20 years ago when Pedro Martinez was dusting every third hitter that he faced and, uh, you know, David Ortiz was jawing and A-Rod was jawing and A-Rod and Varitek were getting into fights and uh, those teams really didn't like each other and these teams really don't like each other. And so when you see, uh, you know, the the little bit of uh, back and forth between Bauer and Tatis, I think Bauer is going to be great for this rivalry because nobody likes Bauer. Um, You know, I think it's, it's genuine. These teams really, they're not only competitors on the field, but I think there's a little bit of a, uh, a distaste for one another, which, you know, to me is great. Just adds to, the, adds to the flair and the flavor of watching these games. I really admire Bauer. Bauer just goes out there on his own all the time in social media and says whatever he wants and doesn't seem to care. I find him admirable. I, I, I might hate him if I was a teammate, but just from a distance, I find him admirable. Well, as a writer, I love him because he always yeah. gives you something to write, right? I mean, that's yeah. uh, number one for us is say something interesting, and he usually does. Um, and you know what? Uh, he's backing it up, too. I mean, not only is he a guy yeah. who talks a lot, but he's a really good pitcher. And now he's playing on the best team in baseball, and, and we'll have a chance to really uh, you know, shine. Obviously, he pitched well in the postseason last year in his limited time there, so... No, I, I, look, I think Trevor Bauer is good for the game because the more interesting characters that we have to talk about, uh, you know, look, Mike Trout, greatest player we've seen in a really long time. When's the last time he said something interesting that you came on and, and started talking about, hey, did you hear the thing Mike Trout said? No, it never, never. happened. Um, never. Which is his prerogative, and I still really, really enjoy watching Mike Trout play baseball, uh, but he doesn't have that same sort of it factor in terms of, uh, you know, water cooler chatter, so to speak. Uh, not that anybody goes to offices and has water coolers anymore. But, uh, you know, I just think Bauer is, is certainly a unique kind of guy. And, uh, and I think his presence in a big market on a really good team in a big rivalry, et cetera, will only be good. Agreed. Agreed. Let me stay in California and go to Oakland. They finally lost a game after 12 or 13, whatever it was. Are we supposed to take them seriously? I understand they're a playoff team every year, but they rarely win playoff series. I can't name anybody on the team, um, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know what to make of them. A team that loses six in a row and then wins 12 in a row, that's such a wide swing. I don't know that you get a handle on them. How good are they? Should we take them seriously? I don't really have a handle on them either, Tony. I know that's not the answer you were looking for, but I feel like I never have a handle on the Oakland A's. Every year they come in, and I look at their roster, and I say, well, they didn't really do a whole lot to get better this offseason. They still have some good players that they've had, but they'll have to trade them eventually. Uh, And I never quite take them seriously, and then they go out and win 95 games every year. Right, Um, right. Billy Bean and, and David Forrest have done a really, really good job of putting this team together year after year. Uh, without the benefit of a payroll that the top teams have. So do I take them seriously? I think at this point I've learned to always take them seriously. I mean, Matt Chapman is a phenomenal player off to a fairly horrendous start. Uh, Matt Olson, the first baseman, is a very good player off to a very good start. 
Uh, and then you've got a lot of guys in between. Jed Lowry, who was a huge bust with the Mets, has actually come back and played in games, which he didn't do during his two years in New York, and he's been a, a really good addition for them. And they've got some good young pitching. Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing they have going for them is that the Astros have taken a step backwards this year. Uh, they're under 500 right now, and the only team over 500 in that division, along with them, is Seattle which is in this sort of, you know, moving on up in a rebuilding phase, but I don't think anybody thinks they're really ready to contend. So this is a very winnable division for Oakland, and there's one thing that Billy Bean always does, and I've always respected this, is when he sees a window where he thinks his team has a chance to do something, and obviously it hasn't done it uh, ultimately, but when he thinks there's a chance, he'll go out and and get somebody in July. He doesn't just sit there and say, well, we're better than we thought we'd be. We're just going to, you know, be happy with that. He will go out, you know, they traded for a John Lester. They've traded for guys who, um, you know, even if it means adding a little payroll, they'll do it. So if the A's are still in first place and feel they have a chance to do something in a not particularly loaded American league, uh, they'll be one of the more aggressive teams, I think, come July. Thank you for mentioning John Lester, who is completely absent in Washington, D.C., who I assume has contracted at some point the coronavirus, which has kept him from appearing in any games so far, three, three and a half weeks in. Do you have any sense of what is going on with John Lester? I don't. You know, the one thing about the COVID protocols and the COVID IL and all of that, to be on the COVID IL, you just have to have been exposed or or had some sort of close contact. They won't tell you who is positive and who's not unless the player uh, has agreed to allow that out. Like Altuve. Altuve said, I contracted the virus. Correct. I'm just wondering. Yeah. We would have to assume just because he's been out for a long time. I know they sent him back to the alternate training site to build him up and get his arm in shape. But, uh, you know, we're now here right towards the end of April and he still hasn't pitched. So, uh, you know, your mind wanders in a bunch of different places. Um, I would have to think he'll be back soon, but I, I just don't have that answer. Is the virus, I saw that the Miami Marlins have, closed all their minor league facilities. They must have had an outbreak of some sort. Is the virus under control by Major League Baseball right now? Is that is that everyone's thought? I think the thought is that the protocols are working. Um, you know, you look at every week, MLB uh, and, the, and the Player Association put out their weekly, uh, weekly testing results. Last week, there were 12,400 tests taken, and there were eight positives, and only three of those were players, five staff members. So you're mm-hmm. looking at about a half a percent positive rate um, over, you know, 12-plus thousand tests. And, and for the season, it's 0.03 positive rate. So, you know, there are still uh, – there have been 23 players who have tested positive uh, this year um, and 16 staff members. But considering that last year, I think at this point, we had 23 Marlins who had tested positive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they're, they've – They've learned from their mistakes and, and the early outbreaks with the Marlins and with the Cardinals last year, and it seems like they feel like they have it under control. You know, they're putting guys on the list when there's close contact issues, and then once they're deemed ready to go, they're, they're back on the field. So uh, all things considered, I think MLB has handled it pretty well. Is there, I'll get you out of here on this. Is there one great surprise so far? Is there one great team or one great player where you go, well, I didn't expect them or him to be this good or this bad? 
it wrong to say Jacob DeGrom? I mean, he's great, and he's won two Cy Young Awards, and, and he's probably been the best pitcher in the game for a while, but one run over four starts with 50 strikeouts, and um, and his team somehow only has a 500 record in those games. Uh, he's just he, – he keeps just getting better and better, which is almost impossible to think because he's been so good to begin with. Um, but I would love to see if he can keep this up for an entire season because uh, we haven't seen anything like this, really like this, I would say, since Pedro Martinez's prime about 20 years ago. Uh, and before that, I mean, you're looking at you know Gibson and Colfax. So this has really been one of the remarkable stretches that we've seen from a pitcher, and it's only a month. Um, and But you look at him over the last – four seasons, and granted, one of them was an abbreviated season in, in 2020, but since the beginning of 2018, DeGrom has a two ERA. Uh, Koufax, during his incredible stretch of five years, had a 1.95. So we're talking about a very similar type of, uh, of performance, and in an era where, you know, there are some smaller ballparks and some bigger hitters, and it's very impressive. So I, I just, every time he takes the ball, it's, it's must-watch TV, whether you're a Met fan or not. Oh, no, no. As a Nats fan, when he killed us in his last start, you, you want to stand up when he leaves and, and just applaud. I mean, he was that great. I mean, he's that great. Yeah, two hits, 15 strikeouts. That's a yes. pretty good night to work. That's, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, really good. If the Mets, if Thank the Mets you, Mark. End up winning, if the Mets end up winning yeah. that division, he'll be an MVP candidate for sure. Yeah. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Mark. Thanks, Tony. Mark Feinstein, boys and girls, we will take a break. We will come back with jingles and emails and all of that stuff. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a Simply Safe ad. I'll just read it. Which part of your house feels a little less secure than you might want? Maybe it's your first floor windows, maybe a French door. For me, it used to be, and I'm supposed to insert my own answer here. I don't know. It used to be the roof. Like I sort of think someone would come in from the roof. Although, why would they come in? Walkout basement for me. Yeah. But I never have to worry about that now because of my security system from Simply Safe. Now there's no time, day or night, where I have to worry because I know my house is always being guarded. I mentioned this earlier that I saw um, the solo stove box in an alleyway. Someone had bought that. In my neighborhood, a lot of people have Simply Safe signs. You see that. It's making inroads in the neighborhood. People have it. Even if you already feel safe, that might not be true of everyone in your home. If you've never had a conversation about that, it's honestly not a bad idea to do. It just feels really good to be able to press the home button on the Simply Safe keypad, keypad and hear the bass say alarm on and know that if anyone did try to come in, the alarm would go off. And the thing is, Simply Safe just makes it so easy. It takes about two minutes to customize a system on their website, simplysafe.com slash Tony. The system arrives in about seven days, and then it just takes 30 minutes to set up. So easy, Michael could do it. Chessie, I'm not sure. Michael, yeah. Go to simplysafe.com slash Tony today to customize your system and get a free security camera. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial. There's nothing to lose. I say this all the time. I'll say it again. Simply is spelled a little bit differently. S-I-M-P-L-I, Simply Safe. That's simplysafe.com slash Tony. This is the Michelob Ultra read. In sports, if you think joy only happens after you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning and that joy is the whole game, not just the end game. In my life as a sports writer and somebody on television, I can think of two teams 
that exemplified this more than others. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression because to be a professional athlete means you have to work very, very hard at it. You're in an extraordinarily narrow slice of accomplishment when you reach the pros. But having fun is important as well. I would give you two. I would give you the 2019 Nats, who every time they hit a home run, danced in the dugout. And when they danced in the dugout, the camera stayed on them. And it made all of us who rooted for the team very happy. And there was a sidebar to that. If Adam Eaton or Howie Kendrick were involved in a play that resulted in a run, they sat next to each other on the bench and they did a power shift as if they were driving a car. And that too gave them great joy and gave us as viewers great joy. The obvious other example is the 85 Bears, maybe the greatest single season team in the NFL when they put together the Super Bowl shuffle and everyone went, oh my God, you can't do that. That's going to jinx you. You got to keep your nose to the grindstone. But no, they were the best team ever. They went through the playoffs something like 91 to 10. And even Wilbon knows how good they were, and I don't get angry when he says it. So that is the great joy that you can take from sports. Michelob Ultra, 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. <laughs> What is that? That was so much fun. <laughs> Did we that? have a breakup in the in in the song? Was there a breakup in that? After listening to the flugelhorn, flugelhorn jingle from Wednesday's show, I was inspired to arrange and perform my own version of Gary's Mailbag theme in the form of a multi-track Oktoberfest umpa dance on the euphonium. What's a euphonium, you might be wondering? It's a medium-sized, four-valve, conical-bore, tenor-voiced brass instrument, or as the flutist woman to whom I'm related by marriage tells people, a baby tuba. What are we doing out here, man? I hope that listening to this makes you thirsty for an IPA or a stout or whatever fancy concoction Chris Eliza drinks. I know the spot is available because no one plays my instrument, but can I be the u official euphonomist of the Tony Kornheiser show? On a serious note, I'd like to echo the many emailers before me thanking you for years of entertainment and moments of levity driving to and from work. I wanted to show my appreciation the best way I could. This is from Phil Coleman in Tucson, Arizona. So that's really nice. Was it me that it broke up in my ear? Did it break up in anybody else's ear a little bit? Or just, no? Just no, you guys. Broke up for me as well, but we're on the same line. Yeah, we're so but it, it played it played straight through for everybody else? Yeah. Sean? Yes, I believe so. Okay, I good. It it's lovely. It was just lovely. It, These sorts of instruments that people are sending us music on are just wonderful. Baby tuba. Euphonium. Uh, all right. Um, how about the Bethesda bagel ad? Can you do that now? Yes. Yes, thank you, Mr. Tony. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. This is great lyrics today. Another fella told me he had a sister who looked just fine. Instead of being my deliverance, she had a strange resemblance to a cat named Frankenstein. Tell the people what that's from, please. That's from the 1950s. Yes, that is another Saturday night. Sam Cooke, Do you know I believe, singing. Sam Cooke. Yes. Sam Cooke who part of his life is in that movie, One Night in Miami. I don't think he sings this particular song in it, though. I haven't seen the movie. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Mark Feinsand. Thanks to our sponsors, Solo Stove, Simply Safe, Spoonful of Comfort, and Michelob Ultra. 
Ultra, not Ultra, Ultra. And remember that you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review if you can. Uh, from Don Hammock in Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, I may not have a brother as famous as Jimmy Steinman, but I'm a sports information director who likes to use words like apoplectic when I can. I'm smart, <laughs> not like everybody says, not dumb. I have a degree in aerospace engineering like Wednesday's emailer does, although I stopped at a bachelor's. I also served as a nuclear trained officer on a submarine. How do you like them apples? From Rick Fawcett in Youngstown, Ohio. Upon hearing the continued discussion of the sons of Steve Sands hitting an immovable object, I thought I would contribute my own story. As a 16-year-old, I was taking driver's ed at Salem High School. Coincidentally, our mascot is the Quaker, which maybe Michael can relate to. The car was a late 80s Chevy Cavalier with an extra brake on the passenger side for the instructor. This would come in quite valuable. As the first student driving that morning, I backed out of the parking spot at an unrealized but undeniably high rate of speed. As the Cavalier leapt onto the sidewalk, the instructor slammed on the brake, resulting in her lit Paul Mall flying out of her mouth. I put the car in park and turned to see that I had stopped six inches from the corner of the school building. My driving lesson was over for the day. From Joe Rauner in Tampa, Florida. Your discussion about Sinclair Oil recently brought back special memories for me. When my mom was in high school in New York City as a senior, she was in a program where she attended school one week and worked one week. She worked as a secretary for Sinclair Oil. She had this crazy ability to type 125 plus words per minute on the old manual typewriter. My mom is the reason I'm such a crazy sports fan. She regularly attended New York Rangers hockey games and New York Giant baseball games. I'm grateful to my mom for many things, but my love of sports will always top that list. She coached my Little League baseball team. She would argue with umpires, sometimes to the point of embarrassment for me, especially the time she screamed, hey, ump, you want to borrow my glasses? You're missing a good game. If she were still here, she would argue with her last breath that Willie Mays is the greatest baseball player ever. I agree with that, by the way. Thanks again and keep up the great work. From Steve the Sycophant, Nigel's sad tale of the damaged bagel was actually one of missed opportunity. Since Bootsy and the Hammer received the plain bagels, but only one was available, here was an opportunity to learn about sharing. Now, I admit this can go wrong. I remember the distant, distant past when I would ask my mom for a cookie. She would give me one, but then say, now, Steve, you must share this with your brothers. Why should I share with the two banes of my existence was beyond my comprehension. But I would dutifully take the cookie, and when mom wasn't looking, split it in half, eat that, and give each brother a fourth. This worked until younger brother was old enough to talk and had the nerve to complain to mom about the unfair split, resulting in her giving me a few swats on my rear end. Ever since, I believe sharing is an overrated concept. However, I'm sure Michael, an Ivy League grad, can come up with a way to make sure Bootsy splits 50-50 with his younger brother. Just be sure, Michael, not to turn your back. From Papa Thiam. I hope I pronounced that right. Thiam, T-H-I-A-M. Could be team, I'm not sure. In Paris, in France. I love the way Dr. Tony always interrupts himself to say, that's the dog, out of concern, I suppose, to all those <laughs> listeners who may not be familiar with the sound of a barking dog. <laughs> Makes me smile every time. This comes from Kelly, who writes, I turned on the afternoon Diamondbacks broadcast of the Diamondback Reds game just in time to hear the Reds fan yell, the bullpen sucks. I realize your favorite reliever, Sean Doolittle, was in the game. Proceeded to watch him walk a guy, then walk in a run while jeers of Doolittle, do your job, and Doolittle, do more, and boos rang down on him. With the limited crowd, the catcalls were crystal clear. It was like a JV basketball game where you can hear everything yelled out by the one obnoxious parent. The second and thirds out were greeted by mocking cheers. Doolittle's final line for the inning, two inherited runners scored, two earned runs, two hits, three walks. Mid-season form like that. <laughs> Jacob Brown in Denver, Colorado. This is about Javelinas, and I thought I would read this. Big fan of the show. First time writing. 
Wilbon's close encounter of the pig kind story this past week reminded me of the first time I heard about Javelinas and I thought I'd share. I was living with my parents briefly after moving home after grad school. They had just moved to a new home in Weatherford, Texas, much more the country than the suburb of Dallas where I grew up and they had just moved from. We're all sitting around one night and my mom asked my stepdad if there was anything he wanted for his birthday. He very sarcastically said, I think we need a Javelina head as we'd all recently joked about a local restaurant that had one mounted horrifyingly behind the door in the men's room. Three weeks later, my mom called me over to see what she had gotten Jeff for his birthday. Slowly, she reenacted the final scene from Seven and opened the box to reveal a very real pig head staring back at me. I told her, I really don't think he was serious about that, to which she responded, well, it's what he said he wanted. I'll never forget my stepdad's face when he opened that box, the ensuing laughter, or seeing that head mounted high on the wall until they moved from that home years later. Any rare mention of a javelina brings that story and my mother's inability to sense sarcasm instantly to mind. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. I find him objectionable on most every level. I've been down for a while, don't think nobody knows Maybe I was a child when I told you to go But I'll make it At least I think I'll make it In the night we go out, pack up on the road I really like when you smile, where you go Went from calling you daily To finding out that you hate me Shit I used to be a best friend Cause I saw you so, and it wasn't pretty And ever since then, felt like we just been drifting I've been looking for myself, trying to find what I'm missing And I can't even show you the fucks I've been giving I'm done with love, enough's enough Sit and wait for somebody to pick me up Till I'm out the rut, and through the rough And realize it's on me I used to be the best friend
on mine Face when I heard the jaws Yesterday you would die No tears I wonder how it feels With fire burning round You on all sides All sides Thank you. 